People use this talking point for cops too, you know? There are good cops. There are nice cops. But like every other day you wake up and like there's one that shot somebody in the back or like killed somebody in a routine traffic stop or killed a child. And it's like, oh, yeah. kill the maybe kid. we don't need to trust cops yeah. entirely. Or in my case at all, because fucking ACAP period. Or, you know, not all men, you know what I mean? Like, not all men are bad. And it's like, yeah, but, like, the majority of them commit violent crimes. Yes, the majority. Sex crimes. So it's like, yes. maybe a case-by-case -case basis, you feel mm. me? Mm -hmm. um, and I here we you. are white people, right? Oh. Not all white people are racist. Like, some of us have good characteristics. Like, <laughs> yeah, but the majority of y'all like to vote for Trump and Republicans. So it's like, really? maybe we need to be a little bit hesitant about the white people that we allow into our space. Excellent. You see what I'm saying? I do. So you're right, baby girl. I don't know you. But here's what I have learned about you. You're a hit dog. And oh, 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 That's not you racist. howled. You hollered. So She better hope she don't reflect. get COVID. She's carrying a little bit. Welcome to the Sports Antidote. Episode number 139. I'm your host, Danny Belts. Horrible bosses. In a big meeting. We all know what that's like except for this man. He knows. What's up? Sing it, Kenny! Kenny Loggins has no idea what it's like to have a bad boss because he is the boss. Coming to Jazz Fest, I'm going to be announcing this every week until I show up pantsless to watch this man perform. Angels from heaven will descend. He may go up like Elijah in a chariot of fire to the pearly gates. I'm not sure this man can actually die. We'll be talking about that when the time comes. Tommy Bench is in. Ooh, we got some stuff to talk about with him. I'll just let him bring that to the table. Bro Exotic comes back, and you'd think he'd have a little bit of maybe a hint of humility. Think again. I get steamrolled by Bro Exotic. It's pretty funny. The drunk neighbor is out. Benny Hanna is out. I was supposed to go to the guy's house to record tonight with the Minister of Moral Obligation about a movie coming up here. And you know what? I had to change. I had to audible. 56 is the mic. 56 is the mic. So anyway, we'll be doing that coming up here in a couple weeks. I basically live in Birmingham anyway. So I'll get with Benny Hanna, and I'm sure he'll be on remotely. Uh, worst case scenario. Kirby Smart versus Patrick Mahomes. Yes, that's pretty funny. We have to talk about that, among some other things. The Super Bowl, that was oh so super for many people. Not for others, but for us it was. And then we're going to be talking about bosses, no matter what career you're in. In comparison to coaching... And how having a boss that you don't like and is horrible makes it very difficult to get out of bed. But I would wager to say that having a coach, whether not so much professionally, but at the collegiate level or even the high school level, can most definitely make it hard to get out of bed, except, especially when you're busting your ass at practice and all this and the locker room sucks and you're not going anywhere and everyone says this team is garbage and then lo and behold, that coach goes the Malignant tumor is out, and in comes the surgical replacement, so to speak, or whatever, and all of a sudden these teams are winning with the same team that was losing last year. Funny how that works, right? I've actually seen that happen, not just in the locker room, but in the sales locker room as well. And not to overwhelm it with sales, but I do have a thing that I saw with a company about eight years ago that is pretty remarkable. I've never really seen it before, but it proves my point that no matter if it's a coach or a boss – Sometimes the talent could be there, and sometimes the components are there, but what's putting those in motion is simply not doing its job, and because of that, that person will need to go. And it is incredible, again, how quickly someone can come in to make wine out of some stank-ass Mississippi River water. 
so to speak. So anyway, be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. And hey, if you're not doing anything, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you reach out and touch a brother and tell somebody about the Sports Antidote today, especially as we get closer to March Madness. We're going to talk about a team briefly today, and soon we'll be unveiling the Dark Horses, right? Last year did not do so well. We really hung our head on Murray State. And of course, they had to play the unstoppable rebel force of St. Peter's, who went through everybody into the Elite Eight like a buzzsaw. So clearly not my fault. Although I probably should have known St. Peter's would, you know, struggle in their conference tournament in the garbage conference that year and not be able to win a road game basically all year and then start beating Purdue and Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, how do, you, how do I not see that coming, right? So we'll discuss that amongst some other things. Not as much housekeeping today. I like to call it housekeeping. It's just a few tidbits before we get in to the main jaunt here. And I look forward to this episode, and it's going to be good. And you should too, and that's what's important. So I'm hearing a lot of clatter after the fact. You know, I could sit here and talk about the call that was made, and people are comparing that to what happened in New Orleans with the Rams, a few blue check marks, even Rich Eisen had some sort of speculation, which is wildly ridiculous. And the reason being is because if you didn't know, what happened in New Orleans was a combination of no calls that resulted inevitably in the Rams having an easier path to win. They still had to beat the Saints in overtime in front of a raucous, loudest crowd ever in the Superdome. Go back and watch that first quarter. Jared Goff's head was about to explode. Uh, I don't know what, why people think it's good to get an aggravated drunk fan base more drunk and aggravated. I'll never understand. They were like, yeah, it wasn't that loud there. And the place is just booming. It was ridiculous. Um, but in that game, you know, there was a hold on the line. So you could call holding right there if you wanted to. And then, of course, there was a – by where the, which the play was constructed within the confines of the dumb rule, right, there was the illegal touching – so there was basically two things off the bat, then an obvious pass interference and or a helmet-to-helmet personal foul. You could have called any of those. They didn't. So that's way more egregious than somebody making a slightly late call on a blatant hold. Look, I had Kansas City, sure. Uh, it came, kind of came down to what I thought, except for at the end of the game, the Chiefs with the ball, not down four, the game was tied. Uh, I mean, we, no one's surprised here. Too much home time for Mahomes, and he continues to just be – Oh, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Shout out to Jalen Hurts, though. That was one of the most incredible Super Bowl performances I've ever seen. I think he ran for three, threw for one, 400 all-purpose. I mean, he just had the one problem where he got blindsided, scoop and score, and that pretty much, that was it. Not it for the game, but when you go back and look, I mean, that was crazy. That's almost a 14-point swing, maybe. It's just a, woof, man, that's a rough way to go into half. And then the Chiefs come out in the second half and literally do not bring that punter on the field, keep the kicker on the field, We kicked a field goal after missing one, of course, but only kicking extra points, and that's the only time you really want to be kicking unless it's the last play of the game in regulation, and lo and behold, this guy can finally make a kick all of a sudden. And I think they found some stuff of him being friends with some Republican senator. He's friends with uh, Josh Hawley on Twitter, and they're just bombing him for that because, of course, if you're friends with Josh Hawley on Twitter, you know, a white guy, born-again Christian, pretty much a high-moral type dude, maybe holds the Bible a little too close to him at times, I imagine. I I could see that, but... If you don't like Josh Hawley, I can't let you around my kid. It's pretty simple because if you don't like that guy, then um, I, how do I know you're not going to try to just not even take my daughter to a drunk, a drunk. Well, you got to get drunk to go there. But, you know, a trans a drag show. I mean, how do I know? You know, I'll just stop right there. There's a lot of things that I can assume if you don't like the guy. So therefore, I cannot let you 
around my kid. And this is one of the things you don't have to like him as a politician, but clearly he's a good person. There's a lot of Democrats like that too. And there are a lot of Republicans that I like as political figures and are horrible people. But I think we can kind of separate the two. Only Republicans really can. I mean, Democrats have no problem with Bill Clinton basically being a sexual predator for the better part of five decades within the state confines of Arkansas, the national confines of Capitol Hill and everywhere in between. But that's fine. I have respect for Billy. I mean, he even wrote a book about that kind of and made more money. Unbelievable. Good for him. Only in America. So before we get into uh, everything else there, I do want to talk about the one thing I noticed in the Super Bowl that is happening afterwards because people get really thirsty and they have nothing better to talk about. So we're going to try to find something with race or something that we can do. And you can't really find any of that here. So we're getting into Patrick Mahomes' celebratory speech after the Super Bowl in which he's taking some fire now for basically saying no one believed in us. No one thought we could do it. Now, there's a lot more truth to that than the comparison that they're making where Kirby Smart did that after winning the national championship which was one of the most ridiculous things I think I've ever heard. I didn't hear it. The drunk neighbor told me about it, and I I was just like, okay. (laughs) You haven't lost a football game in two years. You started off number one. You beat everybody. I mean, you should have lost to Ohio State, and you didn't, and then you took TCU to the woodshed. Everybody thought you could win. You were minus 275 coming into this thing, having to play two games, two games, and still almost getting one to three on your money. That's the most lopsided I've ever seen, ever. I've never seen a team come in that favored, uh, having to win two games. And that's what they were almost. It was ridiculous. So, no, Kirby, everybody thought you could win. But on the other end, you got to be shit me if you're going to sit here and tell me that no one said that about Kansas City. They were saying that before the season when they lost Tyreek Hill. They were saying that during the season when they lost a couple games early. They were saying that even more so when Kelsey got banged up in the middle of the year. They were saying that more even toward the end of the year where they couldn't stop teams like the Texans. So nobody was making any prolific points. They're going to be there at the end. If anything, there was, it was more gloom and doom of this is the beginning of the end. And I was talking about this with the drunk neighbor all year. Like, why is no one talking about the chefs? Like, they, they're scoring 60 a game. You don't have to have a good defense to win in this league. I don't know how many times I have to say that. I mean, you, you just don't. You don't have to be stingy. You just have to turn the ball over and not turn it over. If you have a dynamite offense in this league and you don't turn the ball over like Kansas City and your defense can force maybe one or two a game, and you're constantly going to be between one, one and a half, two, plus two and a half per game, you're going to win a shit ton of games, period, especially with a generational quarterback like this. So there was a lot of people, a lot of people, including Jalen Rose, who needs to stay in his lane and just keep race baiting in the NBA. But, you know, this dude was talking about, you know, the side of, you know, Mahomes, man, like, is that, cont- no, I don't want to go down that road. But he talks out the side of his mouth, and it's difficult to understand him, especially when he takes up for his buddy who's the head coach of Michigan that slaps white people in the face after basketball games. Because that's how they do it on the south side uh, back in the day, according to, to Jalen. That's what, that's what people do in the south side is they open-hand slap people after losing a basketball game. I, that's, what I, that's at least what I, what I heard as well. Right, got it. Not even Kanye West does stuff like that. And he's from Chicago. He's a pretty slick dude, right? Except for these days. Good God. So it's just interesting to see kind of the after this falls out, the laziness of the media after the game happens. And then the fact that we just can't say, wow, they lost one of the most explosive players in the NFL and had a more explosive offense. Wow. Wow. Andy Reid seems to be a really good coach. Look at these second half adjustments. Look at what they did on weak sides. Look how they started letting Philly in on one side to start blowing up slip screens only to start setting up what he's really good at, and that's play action to the big white dude over the middle, uh, Kelsey. And, I mean, it was just a very – it was a clinic. It was a clinic. 
We're not even talking about the out coaching. That was a coaching massacre. And then the things come up that I think there's a little merit to. Maybe Philly's defense looked good because they're chasing around Daniel Jones. Maybe they're chasing around the Mormon from the Jets and whoever the hell is in that division. Who, who's the other team there? God, how, how do I not know this? Did you, oh, yeah, of course. Then you played the Cowboys early in the year with rushing or whatever his name is. But you didn't have Dak. And we look at the NFC just having a bunch of bad quarterbacks. There may be some merit to this, but, boy, they did not whiff Mahomes that much at all. And that's what happens. And Mahomes hurt is better than Jalen Hurts, no pun intended. So this dude is literally better than everyone, even when he's hurt. And on offense, especially at receiver, I think the Eagles have more weapons than Kansas City. I really do. I think I can name you 10 teams that have more weapons at wide receiver than the Chiefs. So clearly this man doesn't need a bunch of studs running around. We'll close the book on this year. And I think when Mahomes closes the book on his career, if he can stay injury-free, he's going to break every record under the sun. And it's already off to a rolling start. Uh, as now he has as many Super Bowl wins as Eli Manning. Well, I guess they're just as good at each other then, now are they? We finished the season very strong uh, with the record. So 89-72-1, 55.2% ATS, all documented. Y'all remember the bad start? We got out of, yeah. Oh, cheese. Yeah, we used to put you in the dumpster. Yeah, I got out. We got out of the dumpster, and we were able to put together another eight year, another great year. Last year, we're 56.1%. Uh, the COVID year were horrible the year before that, right around like 54. It's always there. It's really uh, encouraging to see that, especially the win totals, you know, four and one. I've talked about that record over the year. We don't need to keep mentioning all of that. But clearly, I'm pretty good at the college win totals. The only team breaking up the perfecto, the stupid team in New Orleans. Thanks a lot. Idiots. Clown show. Somebody tried to tell me a couple days ago. You know you'll go back when they start winning. Want to bet? Want to bet? You don't, want to, you don't want to take that bet. Trust me on that. <laughs> Better chance of me going to shotgun some Coors Light. Look, plays of the year, six and two, those are huge. And many people cashed in. Four and nine on the alt money long dogs. Four and nine's bad. Some of these were up to like plus 290. I went back and looked. You made a little over 100. You won because some of these were there. But it doesn't look so good posting it, but we posted anyway. So it was a good season all in all. Really for a catastrophe in the beginning, uh, we made it back. Solid season. We'll be getting into March Madness. Cannot wait. We'll be taking conference tournament games, and then we'll be doing March Madness uh, as well. We'll start keeping the record on that <clears throat> as we move forward. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of, of today's show. So when it comes to horrible bosses or a horrible coach, I, I've been very lucky. In my incredible athletic career in high school, which I never really talk about on here, <laughs> uh, I, I only had really one stinker, and that – was the basketball coach I had my junior and senior year when we basically wasted uh, one of the better teams in the state, especially my junior year, as I've talked about, the outrageous start. I mean, a few more wins, we're 20-0 because we were playing so many games that year because we had a ton of games before the actual battle of the boarding schools. We were counting that towards the record. We've talked about most of this, and this man was terrible. And on the other side, I've only really had one bad bus. I've been very blessed in that regard. And right now, I probably have one of the better setups I've ever had. Since I've been with this company for years, it's been, um, it's been great because a lot of it, if you, fail, if you fail with this company and the senior level that I'm at as far as what the, what's expected on the sales side, it most undoubtedly is 99% your fault because uh, people are here to help and both sides of the country help each other. And, and of course, the guy it trees up to is, is excellent as well. Boy, do these guys listen to this show? No, they don't because I get fired. That's why I don't throw my name out there or any companies. Duh. 
But I have a really good setup. But boy, I know what it's like to not. And I do want to talk about that uh, in particular to one setting that I have spoke about about 16 months ago. Went back and listened, but it wasn't really doing it the service that I could have. One, because I was, I think I had two, maybe two or three glasses. I mean, bottles of red wine too many. So the message may be a little confused there. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and patch that up. But I'll definitely make this work. Is this is this can be this can be a powerful one if you listen and, and and take it for what it is. But we all know what it's like to have a bad coach at one point. We all know what it's like to have a bad boss at one point. If you don't know, God bless you. You want to keep it like that because when both of these things or one of these things, and no matter what, especially professionally, man, it's just hard to get out of bed when the person you're reporting to not only is bad at what they do but doesn't like you. So that's not good, and I, I know what that is like. And man, it is horrible, horrible. Drunk neighbors saw this this stretch with this company I was with, and it was unbelievably bad. There is a situation that happened at the end of this standstill. We don't have enough time to talk about it, but I am going to go back to an episode that I did about the, the spite, <clears throat> about revenge, you know, the lust, the ur- not the lust, the urge to get revenge, but what that does to both sides. And I will paint a very clear picture of why I was an idiot. And because I wanted vengeance and to look smart, overdoing what was best for the company it really cost a lot when it didn't have to cost anything but when i tell you what was happening to me and you may change your mind but looking back objectively speaking i could have been a lot more professional about this than acting like i I just acted like a professional child like i didn't go any rents or anything i had everything in line but when it was all said and done uh the events that happened did not have to unless i wanted them to and when you when you hear next week what that sounds like you will laugh I uh, do not recommend it. But anyway, we'll get through the first half of this this week, coming into 140 next week, and then we'll, we'll get into that side. So let's just jump right in now, shall we? Let's jump into the gene pool, shall we? How does Levent say that? Let's jump into the gene pool, shall we? In order to really look at this question correctly, in other words, if you're going to look at the statement of which I'm trying to make, it's always good to just go back and, as we always talk about, to ask the question, why? I have a bad manager. Why? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, one of these one of these younger guys that listens to the show a few months we were talking and he's an entry level sales guy. He's good. He's super smart. He's actually very intelligent. Unlike me, he's actually got some some know how upstairs, which only helps because trust me, most of us sales guys, we, we didn't exactly outperform the classroom. That's why there's a special group for us over here. The idiots that kind of get stuff done somehow. That's that's mostly mostly for me. Now, there's a lot of sales guys I work with that have an IQ about a buck 40. Maybe I don't know. Certainly not me. But we all have find ways to get things done and, and we'll do them. So when I hear someone say, well, I don't know, like just we're always having these calls and stuff. Like what happens in the calls? We go over our pipeline, our sales pipe, and you know, she just asks all these questions. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds normal. You want to know why? Because she has to report up to her boss. So this way when she gets all this information in 45 minutes after you floated around on 16 clouds all over the place, she can put that back together into a coherent five-minute statement to her boss of the progress in your sales pipeline. Oh, yeah. I guess she didn't read that in the starter book, right? But that's okay. He's 24 years old. When I was 24, I was still waiting tables. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? But I had – I mean this guy's well on his way. I didn't get in until I was 25 and was very lucky and luckily somehow took advantage of that. One of the few things that I was able to take advantage of that was almost plated to me in life. But anyway, in looking at judging if you have a bad coach or a bad boss, there's almost like a checklist you would need to go through for me to actually say, yeah, I'm with you. Because initially, I'm not going to be on your side. Because initially, I know a lot of salespeople are just angry. Angry because they're not successful. Just like players, they're angry. Angry because they're not playing that much. What happens at practice? Talk to me about practice. Well, you know, know, if I start hearing these things and I'm just going to make this, it doesn't 
wouldn't take me long to understand the structure of a practice and your role in that, what you do, how you act. Then if I go watch one and see you in practice, I'll know a lot, probably about why you're not playing, talent aside. And then when it comes to sales, you have the same thing. Salespeople love excuses. We just love it. You know, that's what we do. And I, that's the one thing I'm actually able to stay clear of because I learned early on. Just don't. Just come out with it. Get it out indirectly. If it's your fault, say it. And it's better to swallow it like that than to sit here and dance around and go, oh, it wasn't really my fault. And it probably was. So I think that you know, when you look at that whole thing, there's a lot of things you have to capacitate to come out with that, that end result. We don't have time for that here, right, to go through that whole, that whole checklist. But we do. I'll tell you what happened with me. And I certainly have had time to do that, especially looking back on things. And I've had both of these. And before I talk about – I don't even want to talk about the bad coach I've had because we've talked about that several times. But you know what that's like because you've probably had a, a bad coach. I'll tell you what the boss side is like and how fastly things can quick, how quickly things can change when – the right person is implemented with the right group of people and makes the necessary culture changes to move in the right direction. Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes five. But it happens, especially if that coach is willing to do that hard work, which I believe is happening right now at LSU with their basketball program, which we will talk about probably not this year, but coming up, maybe over the summer. These kids are trying. They're just short, no talent. And I mean, everybody left after the Will Wade debacle. I still like Will Wade, but clearly, you know, Matt Mack came down from Murray State with his hands full. So I'm pretty sure the AD and everybody else understands that. It just didn't help LSU when they beat ranked Arkansas, their first game in conference, and haven't won a conference game since. And that was a long time ago. (laughs) Oh, man. But anyway, so when it comes to having – when the coaching situation looks looks to be that way or looks like it is, there's a lot of – a lot of things we can look to. There's a lot of obvious ones, but instead of talking about ones you may know about, I'll talk about one you most definitely don't know about, unless you're a Colorado Buffs fan. So I moved to Colorado for a couple years, and it was really cool, and I was able to meet some really cool people that, yeah, one of them stood in my wedding. I still keep in touch with a lot of these guys, and they were great. The good thing is every city I've lived in, whether that's North Carolina, South Carolina, of course, Pennsylvania, Florida, Colorado, Texas, Louisiana, and such, uh, you know, I still have some friends from those days, and that's that's really cool that we keep in touch. Uh, when it comes to the Colorado Buffs, I started going to a lot of their basketball games because they were horrible, and it was really easy to get in. Nobody cared. Um, Jeff Berzelik was their coach, 2007 to 2010, and it always kind of looked like Colorado had talent. Look, I'm not a Division One coach, but the games I would go to, there were not really blowouts. It's like they're in these games for 80% of it, at least the ones I watched at home, versus pretty good teams in the Big 12 at the time. Kansas came there one time. Kansas was number two. And Colorado was with these guys step of the way. Rebounds are equal. The turnovers are equal. The referees look like they didn't really have an, in, an impact in this game. They went toe-to-toe with a really good team. And then the last five minutes, like every other game, the team completely falls apart. And then the coach goes in a press conference and kind of blames the players for not finishing. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe when Bill Self called that one timeout to go into a 1-3-1, which clearly you had no idea he was going to do, forced two goddamn turnovers and you didn't call timeout before the third one or after the third one. See, maybe, maybe that's on you. Maybe you could use one of those timeouts. You can't take them with you and add them to the score, coach. Maybe you want to start, you know, playing chess with this smart guy over here who clearly is taking you to the shed with a hammer and a hacksaw. Maybe that, no, 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 it's the player's fault. Got it. All right. So let's just, so Jeff was kind of a bum, right? 36 and 58 in the three years he was there. 10 and 38 in the Big 12. This is just really bad, okay? And some of these games I went to were blowouts, but most of them, most were just, they're in it. They can win. And then at the end, they would cuck so hard they wouldn't even cover. And I have a huge problem with that coach. 
<laughs> for very un- understandable reasons. Hey, come on. You can't cover? Idiot. But anyway, this guy was basically just one that came in here, ruined a pretty good program at one point. What reports came out later was these practices were soft. The locker room was full of turmoil. You usually don't hear this till after the fact. Players are trying to transfer, and this is back when that was a difficult process, okay? Transfer portal wasn't as easy. The transfer portal back then was like trying to come into this country legally right now. A lot of things you have to do. The transfer portal now is basically just like the south border. That you can basically just do whatever the hell you want, right? I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Everybody knows this including Pete Buttigieg and the current administration and Kamala Harris, who has only been down there once. That's unbelievable. But what's more unbelievable than that is this, is after this went down, the media was trashing this guy and all, is I went back up there for a game the year after he left. Now, Todd Ted Boyle had stepped in. He's a hard-nosed guy, defensive-minded guy. And Colorado with that same team, that same team, minus a senior and two sophomores, one starter, one significant bench player, and one guy that really didn't play, took that team their first two years to the NCAA tournament. That right there is incredible. That is unbelievable, especially given the real estate you have to execute in. Okay, this is the Big 12. Say what you want about the Big 12. They're the most consistent basketball conference nearly next to the ACC, and they do this without all the hype because the ACC is basically just revolved around North Carolina and Duke. Let's not, let's not lie to ourselves, okay? You have teams that are constantly up and down. Miami looks good this year. Every now and then Virginia Tech looks good this year. Every now and again, North Carolina State looks pretty good. Clemson's had a couple years. Florida State's had a couple years. But the consistency around the foundation, the success of that conference has primarily been around those two teams, and they've pretty much not really done much. I know Duke did a lot last year. Let's not go there. Come on. I mean, they're getting 73 free throws a game down the stretch and Coach K's pathetic farewell. But, you know, these teams and UVA, of course, has won a title. They're incredible. You know how I feel about Tony Bennett, best coach in the country. Everybody knows this. But there's a lot of other schools that will come and go. What makes a conference really solidify its, its longevity is when these teams are able to always be above average. That's why the Big Ten is so good in football. Wisconsin's always good to sometimes even borderline great. They'll win the Rose Bowl every four years. Michigan State. We're always seeing this team in a decent ball. Hell, the first year they had the playoffs, they went to the play. Oh, the st- no, the first year, yeah, they played Alabama, and then Alabama beat Clemson. But, yeah, they went to the playoffs, so they've had some postseason run early on. But when, when these teams start to drop off in the middle there, your Iowas, your Nebraskas, these teams you're counting on to be solid, and they're not, the conference is going to go sideways, and that's kind of what's happened to the ACC recently. Now, they're going to send a lot of teams. They always do. But my point is that the Big 12 has always been, you know, really solid, especially then. So for this man to come in here and to do that, given the landscape, was incredible. And the second year, after they went to the tournament, they got it as an eight seed. They got out of there, and then they almost went to the Sweet 16. And the next year, they kind of had the same, same return. They lost a couple starters. They had a couple guys you know, they picked up to play early in their freshman career. And they almost won the Big 12. They almost just won the whole goddamn thing. And at that time, a top two conference battling with the ACC. How, how does that happen? How do, you, how do you have the same group of people that cannot win for the most part, and this guy comes in, and not only are you winning, you're winning a lot. Shouldn't that be studied? Coach, what did you do? Coach, can you tell me what the practice structure looks like? Coach, what were the stories of the difference between practice then and practice now? Can you tell me that? Well, why do you want? Because I'm interested. Because that's an interesting why. And then after that, you can tell me how, and I'll just write all this stuff down and put it on Facebook. And call you uh, and say you grabbed my ass. Didn't you just grab my ass, coach? There's only us two in here. Who's going to know? Boy, I got a story about 
<laughs> I mean, we've told it on here before uh, about Tommy Bench. He had a chance to, to just do just that. When, so I'll just say it right now, long story short, we're in college or we're in high school and we're about to graduate and we went to this big graduation party and Tommy Bench wasn't supposed to be at this graduation party. And then he had a couple beers at the graduation party. His summer is about to be incredible. He's going to all these like, these like co-ed camps for like the pre-naval academy. He's like going to go out and have fun. So one of us is like two weeks at the beach with a bunch of smoke shows and all this. And it's kind of like band camp. It's like a bunch of pretty nerds that probably take the flute. No, I'm just kidding. But what happens here is he told in confidence the music director at the school and the music director like thought that that, oh, yeah, that's awesome, man. Then the music director goes behind his back, tells his parents, can you believe this? And his parents will let him go to any of this stuff. They basically grounded him his entire summer because he went and had a few beers at a party. No easy buckets in that household. Let me tell you that. Mrs. Bench, she quit school because of recess, does not play games. She ran out of quarters for the arcade in 1971. She ain't playing games. All right. And fact right there. Example made. And I asked Tommy Bench, how many people were in that office when he told you? He was like, just us? After he told me, and this is what he told Tommy Bench, you tell your parents or I will. Once he said that to me, I would have processed that, looked at him straight in the eye and said, okay, Mr. Gary, why'd you just put your hand on my penis? Of course, it would have taken him a second to see what I'm saying because he didn't. But I would have said, no cameras in here, your word versus mine. I would have went all the way. I'm not joking. All the way, all in. I would have jammed it in right there and said, you do that, I'm doing this. So if you do this, I'm doing this. Bet your, bet your 401k on that, pal. And I guarantee you I would have scared him out of doing that, especially these days. That was back in like 2001. Anyway, so my point is when a coach is able to do something like that, it's incredibly noteworthy. Then you go back and you look why. Why? And you look at the structure had changed. There's a lot of things that changed. Started doing these like off-site practices at like outdoor courts in neighborhoods where they would do stuff in the neighborhood and i don't know it was just a lot of stuff that sounds baloney sounds corny but clearly something's working and you built the cohesion organically to make these guys comfortable with each other comfortable to bust their ass at practice comfortable to buy into whatever you're selling to them to go out and execute the athletic department strategy of winning a basketball game which is something they really could not do so we look at that example and we go wow Kind of happens all the time, you know? I mean, when I went up there in 08, 09, I saw it, came back for a conference in 010, new coach, saw it right there, like, wow, it's the same team. How is this happening? They housed Texas Tech, housed Texas Tech. And I'm sure Marcus Smart lied about someone calling in the N-word again in that game, as he did 67,000 times in his overrated college career. We don't just see it in men's, we see it in women's. Kim Mulkey. She came to take over in one of the largest women's college basketball contracts ever, which clearly, immediately, you could tell, was worth every cent. LSU women's basketball is normally very good. Usually right there, a one seed, typically, they never really figure it out. They're always going to win 20-something games, and they're very solid. Fargus resigned, the previous coach, because... I mean, it was amidst it, April 2021. I remember watching the press conference. It was pretty funny. There was a lot of shade around the team that year. And even before that, not just recruiting things, but some other things happening in locker rooms that, whoo, you know, I wouldn't want my name tied to. And then she takes a monumental pay cut and somehow goes to the Vegas Aces as an operations president. I think she took like a $500,000 pay cut for that. But it was either that or maybe get prosecuted. I have no idea. But in comes Mulkey. They were 9-13 prior. 
with the same exact team. I think they had one transfer. They lost a couple seniors. That one didn't really play. Same team. They went 25 and four. 25 and four. How is that possible? And then you hear she liked to do things compartmentally in practice. You have to be an excellent coach to be able to do this. You have to be an excellent coach to be able to break away and have these mini sessions because every assistant coach has to be 1,000% on top of their game. Everybody has to know. Head coach is going to float around and watch it all happen, but he has to make sure that his coaches are giving the right message in these breakouts. It's like in a big national sales meeting. We have breakout meetings. So you're going to go in different groups. Uh, like I'm going over here to closing 101 and you're going to dealing with objections in a sales meeting or whatever. And we do that. Well, in practice, that's a lot, that's a lot more difficult because things are a lot more fluid as far as like motion. Not everybody's sitting there. And in order to do that, your main, your main point, so your thesis statement of the season, the practice, whatever you want to do, has to kind of trickle down and run in line all the way down to even like the equipment manager almost. If you want to, be, if you want to look at this for what it is, her practice schedule was so rigorous and so insane that nearly with the same team cracks the culture in one night and you can almost see the night and day difference. I watched a couple games that year, and I watched LSU women score almost 100 points a couple times in 10-minute quarters. And that, that's crazy. You don't really see that too often in conference. So, you know, clearly Mulkey comes in here, does what she needs to do, and is able to not just – we're not talking about changing a toxic culture. We've done that a lot on here. You can clearly see how the right, the right boss, so to speak, in this line of work can be quick. And extremely effective. And the results will speak for themselves. And she is right under, like I said, I think I said it before, she's like right under Pat's summit. You know, as far as uh, just excellence, the way that you run your practice. You can go talk to my brother about that. What's it like to be in a practice with Loyola in New Orleans and then a few months later in in a practice with St. Joe's? He could tell you the difference. Phil Martelli's practice, a little different than Gino's down in New Orleans. So really... There's a lot of examples to be taken from that, which we'll get into at some other point, because I will go down a, a ruthless rabbit hole when it comes to practice structure. My God, it's the same thing as pre-call selling. How are you not getting everything together? How are you not getting organized? I was organized before with pre-call, so I thought, until I started working here. Then I realized there's a lot of things I need to work on. Perfecting that only helps everything in the meeting. You want to have it to where you're like a couple of these guys I work with. There's not one question out of left field that can really come. They're not prepared to answer. They're not going to answer anything off the cuff. Um, they're just not. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, but you know, close. Lot, lot, huh. a lot of work to go into that, to break the habits of, of Danny Belts. Wow. But you look at the difference between Mulkey and, and Fargus, and you can see how quickly, like I said, things can happen, but then you look at the why, and it's very, it's very telling. Now, you can look at how this happens in basketball, and I want to be very specific to basketball. Not football, not baseball, basketball, particularly college, men's in particular, all the way down to that macro or micro, but we'll get there. It, it doesn't just happen on the court. You know, it doesn't. Uh, not just the way the coaches will change practice. I have seen a manager do the same thing in a sales environment, and it was one of the most incredible things I think I've ever seen. These are transferable attributes. You would think it not be. It is. Coaching, managing, and being a boss at some point are all going to intertwine. And in this instance, uh, it would almost be impossible for me not to bring up something I saw firsthand. There was a, there was a region in one of the companies I work with that prolifically was horrible. Now, it wasn't necessarily the sales guys. 
the operations teams in these areas struggle to keep good people. So you're only as good, like a quarterback, you're only as good as your offensive line, right? You really are, especially in pro football. And on the other end, you're, you're almost as good as, I guess, as your operations team is going to allow you to be, depending on what you're doing. Now, the overall operations of this company was very good. But this region was not. So we kind of knew those guys were dealing with that. And because of that, salespeople get aggravated and they leave. So you're going to lose some talent. And they had some talent. They retained what they could. They fired this manager. We found out this dude was playing golf, going fishing, uh, in prime time selling hours. Like, look, I understand you want to cut out early. You get back from the golf course maybe at like nine, as long as you have your phone on you. I don't play golf. I don't care. I'm not telling on myself. But I mean, there's things you can do. As long as you have your phone, you can get through most. But man, hardcore selling days, like selling hours, you don't, you don't want to be doing that. And especially when you may need your computer and the dude was just unavailable. He was, this is the, and he found out, we found out he was using his company card, wildly unethical stuff, and he was fired and good. And they brought in this woman who was not a sales manager prior. She, she was not. She came from internally within the company, but from a different, a different compartment where she was a manager, but not on the outside hunter role. And they were curious or, or worried whether or not it would work out. And so was I. And well, it worked out all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, they got out of the dumpster really quick. And, you know, the way that this happened was the fundamental changes you could see were implemented immediately in how she wanted to run her sales team. She was way more on point, way more in person in the beginning and had to almost micromanage her way to where she didn't have to do that. It was rough in the beginning. People were bitching to me. and I was like, dude, I I mean, this is what y'all need. This is what we do. You're just not used to it because you're used to being a lone wolf. You don't have to be that here. Just listen to her and you can make your assertion or decision on her style later on. You don't have enough data to speak on that now. And by the way, your numbers suck. So if I was your manager, I'd be up your ass too, right? Because all she does is report up. That's it. So in this instance, in one year after the firing of the other guy to bring her in, her execution was unbelievable. She was unanimous manager of the year. They shouldn't even have voted. And furthermore, they almost had a guy win salesperson of the year who we found out was excellent with the right structure. The way that she ran her sales team, even during the national meeting, they were different. They were way more close. I was tight with my group, but they were tight now. They had that cohesion. That's good. It's like going to the movies as a team. Can't hurt. They did a lot of stuff like that. And they had constant breakout sessions of their own in between the breakout sessions within the conference. And people took notice. And they weren't just doing this to do it. She had some things she wanted to communicate to them right now that was pertinent and important to the success of their individual salespeople and, more importantly, their region and inevitably the entire company. And that was apparent from the get-go. Turn that thing around nicely overnight, overnight. They almost had the best region in the year. We won that one again clearly because of me. I'm kidding. My team was ridiculous. I was probably taking down the company average there or busting up the curve, however you want to call it. But it was incredible to watch that because you can see what it's like to have a great manager. And these guys personally were doing so much better. This, this, this woman came through the struggle. She was a single mother, three kids, okay? She had twins and then later on uh, another kid a year and a half later and then her husband left her. And she was not one of these ones to talk about this. She had a ridiculous uphill battle as a single woman. And it is not hard. It is, excuse me. It is unbelievable. That's not what I meant. It is unbelievably difficult. Something we will never really know anything about. And, and, and for her to be able to do that amidst all that while not even talking about it, I found out about all this later. 
Normally, people would just say, well, despite everything I've had to fit. No. She never talked about that. Someone else had to tell me about that. And she didn't even tell those people that. One person found out through like third-hand, none of their business shit. So she was incredible. Excellent. 10 out of 10. It's one of the best executed managerial transitions in the history of organized sales in North America. Full stop. Everybody knows this. And if you don't, now you do. It was unbelievable. And I'm not sure many people could have pulled that stunt. They moved to a more important role higher up, and now she can facilitate a lot of things that she became good at as well as what made her inherently really good at this whole thing. And she's still doing extremely well. I follow her on LinkedIn, and good for her. And her and I are pretty, pretty tight. We can still talk, and she is a wealth of knowledge, and I ain't scared to ask. And you should not be either, especially if you're in sales. Just ask somebody, all right? Now, that's not the whole forgiveness versus permission. That's a whole other thing. But when you don't know something, just figure it out. Ask the right people. You know who you can do that internally. And if you haven't built an internal coaching network, I would get on that right about now. Find the good people and be friends with them. That will never hurt. Trust me on that. So I know what it's like also to be in that situation of always having a good manager and good coaches. You know, the, the worst coach I've had, I've talked about it a lot, was the basketball coach I've had in high school. Wasted a, almost a 20-0 start, uh, ranked in the state. He was terrible. And inevitably, the locker room cracked, and so did we. Some of that was on us, most of that on him. But I also, also have the distinct privilege of always having great management. I do right now. And it is incredible when you know, that, that happens, how easy it is to get out of bed and do your job. How hard it is to get out of bed when you don't like your boss. I don't care if you're a, bar, a bartender and you hate the bar manager. And by the way, the bar manager should never be bartending. I have a whole thing on that, which we may do in around June. You're just saying that. No, really. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better at this now. <laughs> but um, it's called bar manager. You'll like it. But I feel that, you know, I can tell you in firsthand experience what it's like to have a manager you don't like. And what we're going to do in this episode is kind of peel back the onion one by one in almost a three-part series that's not technically one because I don't have time to do it all in one or two. Let's talk about what that looks like. And if I said that earlier, I had to get rid of an entire bit because of this ridiculous truck in the background. I hope I'm not repeating myself too much because I can't hear it now because it just randomly deleted. Thanks, Anchor. You cucked because I didn't wait till the stupid hourglass was around. But in this instance, you know, I do know what that's like. And more importantly, I know what it's like to have a manager in a meeting that is ruining everything right in front of your face. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you doing this on purpose or do you hate me? So much you're doing this on purpose, or are you so ignorant to everything that's happening that you're oblivious to all this? The latter is worse than the former, although the former is horrible. I kind of figured it was, it was both. She was vacuous. She was terrible, spiteful, and horrible in the meeting. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. If you know what it's like to build up the internal pre-call structure in a big complex sale with multiple decision makers, how difficult it is to get all these guys at the same table at the same time on the same page is wildly difficult. It's actually more difficult than closing the sale. It is. Every sales guy would love to have everything teed up. That takes a lot of work and we had put that work in over nine months. And here we are, you know, when it comes time to pre-call, she doesn't have time. Then when she gets in, she's talking to one of her friends, having coffee, I swear to God, instead of meeting me to pre-call for the meeting, we should have pre-called for twice on the phone already, and we didn't. Shows up to the meeting five minutes prior, I can't make this up, and it was an absolute train wreck. And she blamed me. And because of why I'm stretching this out, I'm going to tell you what you shouldn't do, although it'll, you know, the, the venge- what did I call it, the, uh, the, t- the burden of revenge, or the, bur- the taxing burden of vengeance is what I called it. I'll tell you firsthand how you can get a quick smile out of being a spiteful asshole, even though I had every right to do it, 
And while looking back now, it was a very big mistake because it just caused, it caused unnecessary internal turmoil that did not need to be there. And I've grown a lot since then, but I'm a spiteful troll now. I'm working on it. I was one of the biggest ones you've ever seen then. You'll laugh at this story when I'll tell you what happened after that meeting. But during this meeting, because we didn't prepare, she's saying things where the coach, the internal, the coach I've built, who's also one of the decision makers in this process, is looking at me like, shut her up. He was in her face of horror because of what was being said. Tearing down this wall that I had built brick by brick and not the one in China, the one that should be in Mexico, basically coming here prepared and not having your manager on board and how insane this is and how crazy it will drive you and what happens after the fact. You will laugh at what I did, but I'm not going to focus on why I did and why it was so cool. I'm going to focus on why you shouldn't do it, which will tie into what I'm talking about now with bad managers and a bad boss and why you shouldn't do that. And there's a better way to handle that. And you'll enjoy it. I'm almost positive you will. I don't care if you're in accounting. I don't care if you're a janitor. I don't care if you're waiting tables. I've done all these things. Janitor too, yes. And I think that it doesn't matter. If you don't like your boss, it's just that much more difficult to get out of bed. But when in sales, it's even harder because there is no nine to five. Outside sales, I work on the weekend. I do stuff at night, late in hotel rooms. How do you not? We have, that's why we're not hourly here. We can't be. And you know, I never have been in an outside sales role remotely and you can't do that, but there's a reason why. If you add up all the travel time and everything, it's, it's a little more than 40 hours a week, I can tell you that. But I know what it's like to have that happen and I'll talk about that in detail. But when you have a bad manager, just like a bad coach, it makes things nearly impossible, almost impossible to, to overcome to the point where you want to change jobs or quit and that's a bad place to be. Fearing failure on the court and professionally is a horrible spot because when you fear failure failure what you're also fearing is the path on which you're going to fail you can almost see it and when someone ahead of you is making it difficult to succeed man i mean that is a huge thing fear comes into a lot of this you know it's so funny i was in church paying attention imagine that and pastor brought up something good and this ain't no bible podcast man but we do reference the bible a lot but i'm gonna go ahead and read this to you whether if you're an atheist or not or a muslim or whatnot you know, respect the book a little bit because there are some good quotes I run through here, but this one speaks a lot to the fear aspect of things, and I do want to tie that into something real quick, right? For he has said, this is Hebrews 13, baby, getting into the Hebrews, little New Testament action for that ass. I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Question mark. I should get my dad on here to talk about some of the Hebrew there, fear being a different word, even I know that. The word for Hebrew and fear goes to multi. It's it's it goes through down like a big six different roads, but you know basically what this verse is saying is something very powerful, and I think this is something that can be easily translated, you know, to nearly anything you need to do, especially when it comes to on the court or in a sales court in the sales locker room at the end there when it says, "What can man do to me?" In other words, if I have faith in this thing that may or may not be there, this God, let's say I do then how can any person on this earth be in front of where I want to be? And if you buy into Christianity, okay, well, this makes a lot more sense. If you don't, it makes no sense. I totally understand that, all right? But what I'm saying is when you have someone ahead of you, I'm not comparing your manager, or your coach to God, but when they have faith in you and you don't have to actually fear them, who can get in front of you? Let me answer that question for you on the court and in sales, only yourself. Only yourself. If 
you're a Christian and you have God on your side, so to speak, with the Bible and everything you need, your internal church group, people you can call if you have a question, which is very important, I imagine, the same thing applies. If you have faith in the person above you, they have faith in you, you should not fear failing because you will fail. There's not one salesperson in the world and not one coach or coaching or manager that can say, I've never failed. Really? Okay. That's like saying, I have no regrets. Really? Really? No regrets. That's great. That's incredible. What is this, Groundhog Day? But a lot can be taken from both. And the point we're going to get into deeper on the next two weeks is how to deal with this, a bad coach, a bad manager, not what to do, more importantly, what not to do. And I can tell you that firsthand. And that's when I really get in my wheelhouses when I talk about my personal failures. And it's not to put an uh, asterisk or a highlight or a bold or, an, or to italicize and underline it. It is just to say, not even so much as I did it, you don't have to, but it makes things a lot more clear when someone has firsthand experience. Sometimes it's secondhand on this show when I trust the source, and typically I do, but in this case, it makes things a lot more powerful, and we will do that. I mean, these questions, you know, how did Shaheen Holloway take a St. Peter's team last year, okay, last year, who couldn't even win a game in conference? And then something happened, and they win this conference tournament, and they go beat Kentucky, they beat Purdue, no, excuse me, they beat uh, Murray State, they beat Kentucky, Murray State, then Purdue, and then inevitably get derailed by North Carolina, who was on fire, who probably should have won the national championship. How does that happen, right? Right now, Pat Duquette, UMass Lowell. No one knows about UMass Lowell. Remember UMass Lowell, my middle brother, been all over their team total since the beginning of the season. What has this guy done to change a culture for a team that can never win to now is a ridiculous RPI, should have beat Rutgers, a very solid team, just dispatched of the powerful conference rival Butler on Butler Bryant on their home court last night. How did that happen? And if you had the over at 155, they scored 94 points combined in the second half and it went over because some white kid that never plays hits a three off the backboard on senior night. That disproves atheism right there. There clearly is a God. Go report to your local pastor, priest, get a Bible tomorrow because that shot going in and everyone losing the under on an absolute stone cold lock. At one point, the live total in that game was 131 and it goes over 155 by a half a point. My God, <laughs> suck on that if you had the under. And I th- <laughs> but there's a lot of things that we'll bring in to talk about that guy, what he's doing. I do want to touch on Holloway, what he did last year, and then talk about what they did as opposed to what not to do, what I can speak to firsthand on the court in a toxic locker room, and then on the sales team when you have a toxic manager. And I think it'll be important and we can all take something away from that. We're going to switch it up here a little bit, I believe, Mr. Producer. I th- isn't this next week? It is this week. All right, go ahead and cue it. People think I don't have range, so we'll go ahead and disprove that real quick. People say I don't have range. What do you think? I'm, Steph- uh, I'm not Steph Curry? You think it has to be Molly music? Cue the, cue the Duran Duran, Mr. Producer. College basketball games don't matter in the lower levels, right? Well, I have a story about me going to a game at UL Monroe years and years ago that will disprove this right now. Mr. Producer, I got... (laughs) This is the wrong episode. See, I get so excited to do something all outside the Molly music. Oh, man, this is the wrong week. It's too... (laughs) This is how stupid I am. This is actually next week. This is such a great song. Can you just do it anyway? Oh, I'm getting teared up listening to this. You know what? We're just, we'll save it for next week. That was not a teaser. That's actually a demonstration 
of how stupid uh, Danny Bells can actually be. No Molly music this week, but next week you will see some Duran Duran. And it's not hungry like the wolf, although I am. We will get into that, and I have a hilarious... Yes, people are saying the lower the games don't matter even when they don't matter. And I have a personal experience of a buzzer beater at Yule Monroe over 10 years ago that I will speak to uh, at length. <laughs> not at length, but about 5 minutes and 32 seconds over Duran Duran. I think I've exhausted everything I should say today. I am falling off the ledge. It's way too late. I got to get to bed, I guess. Has anybody seen Bro Exotic? person who wants a lot of credit for helping to create racial equality while you do nothing to help create racial equality? If so, that means you want to be a woke white person. So listen up, because I'm going to give you your PhD in wokeology. Bro Exotic comes back on the Sports Antelope post-Super Bowl episode. How you doing, bro? Uh, what's going on, dude? Uh, bro Exotic. Uh, vice of Cow, for now. Church of Woke. What's going on, dude? Sick. Dude, thanks for coming back on. Uh, Look, you know, I know what happened on the show last week. We all heard the woke Pope kind of, you know, got in there. and and Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all good. Yeah, woke Pope came on. I got uh, got land base. It was fine. All right, moving on. Um, So. There's a lot that happened in that Super Bowl game, bro. We'll just keep moving on. I'll take this. So. Uh, I know a lot of it came down to, like, this last play of the game. And now, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, dude. Ter- uh, I mean, dude, it's, 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 absolutely, uh, it's absolutely terrible. Uh, what's going on right now in social media with Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, okay. who allegedly held, he allegedly held, or got held, right. uh, by James uh, Bradbury. And uh, I'm going to tell you, dude, uh, Juju Smith uh, Schuster, he left a Valentine on Twitter for James Bradbury saying, uh, I'll hold you when it matters most. Mm-hmm. And he's getting a lot of uh, backlash for it, dude. Uh, not only is that homophobic, dude, but um, it's also <laughs> kind of anti Semitic if you think about it. Actually, double anti Semitic for someone named Juju. So I just, uh, I- I'm not, we're not, we're not going to stand for this uh, anti Semitic homophobia. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to work with us, dude. Nobody circles the wagons. Like the far left woke with bro exotic. I mean, just last week the dude gets land based. He trucks me on my own show, gets into juju, double anti-Semitic while being homophobic from a Valentine's Day. I mean, I just thought it was a dumb idea. And you're telling me that it was the whole time it looks like it is kind of anti-Semitic and homophobic. You may have something there. Double hate crime. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, God, if only he was white. Damn it. But uh we could really pin him on that. All right, so we got past that. Juju, you've given your thoughts on that. Uh, I do want to get into, bro, you know, look, I know that, you know, you had this bet, Eagles minus one and a half. It didn't work out, but look, I mean, uh, we're, we're yeah, still here. Yeah, yeah, I lost. Stupid play, stupid game. All right, moving on, dude. Uh, as you know, football's over. Uh, it does not mean that uh, the football theatrics are over. Um, wanted to oh. delve into our uh, to Cal Church of Wokes feature length film, uh, The Colonist. For those of you who don't Cap- know, that is Colonist. We have a lot of new listeners. That is a show about Colin Kaepernick, which he's calling The Colonist, which is based on Colonist Kaepernick. It's Colonist a beautiful Kaepernick, right? But go ahead, bro. I'm sorry. So it's a uh, it's the Colonist. Story. I like The Colonist even better. <laughs> 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a beautiful story uh, about <laughs> uh, the colonist Kaepernick who colonized woke culture in the NFL in the 2016 season, dude. Uh, it's uh, it's directed by uh, Jordan Peele, so there won't be any white leads, any white roles. So he hired uh, Forrest Whitaker to wear white face and play Chip Kelly for the one year that he coached the 49ers to a 2-14 and season. And uh, we're also going to have Denzel wearing white face to play as Roger Goodell. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a great uh, star-studded cast, dude. And it's it's really gonna um, be more about what Colinist Kaepernick did for women's rights. Uh, <laughs> uh, ever since ever since he took a knee, dude, uh, the first woman ref uh, came about eight years ago. Uh, the first woman ref to uh, ref a Super Bowl was two years ago, and the first lesbian quarterback to go to a playoff game, Trevor Lawrence, was last year or this year. This year, so it's, yeah. been, uh, it's been a major, uh, a major win for women's rights. What Colinus Kaepernick has done for woke culture, uh, and how he ingrained that in the NFL, dude. Man, I tell you what, that is pretty special. That is definitely something, man. Well, look, I mean, we got so much going on now. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're still into. Ba- I mean, I don't know. Do you still? Are you watching any March Madness, or is that something we can kind of continue with when the time comes? Maybe get some picks there, or what? Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, definitely going to get into March Madness, but, um, I mean, I'm still in February Madness right now, dude. Uh, February ma- Madness. Ma- yeah. ma- mainly uh, with uh, something you're familiar with, Mardi Gras. Yes, I hate Mardi Gras. Uh, well, so does Cal. Uh, oh, so <laughs> really? Cal and uh, Latoya Cantrell, the super-efficient, brave, crime-fighting mayor of New Orleans, who, continu- who continuously fights for the rights of women of color. Uh, to never have to fear flying coach and airplanes. Uh, we're uh, we're canceling Mardi Gras, dude, until they become more gender inclusive. Dude. We're not going to stand for this patriarchal king cake festivity uh, with not uh, subsequent queen cakes, dude. I mean, <laughs> like the, the absolute just rape of, of equality and women's rights to not include queen cakes with king cakes is pretty devastating, uh, not only to me, not only to the church, but the woke community at large. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, dude, we're uh, we're we're canceling we're uh, canceling Mardi Gras. Latoya is yet again going to cancel uh, Mardi Gras for the city of New Orleans, who uh, still uh, subscribes to the patriarchy of uh, such carnival festivities. Dude, that is incredible. I mean, like, and for those of you who don't know what a king cake is. It's much like a po' boy in New Orleans. It's just stale bread, lettuce, tomato, and a couple pieces of fried seafood for sixteen ninety nine. A king cake is kind of the same thing. We throw different color icing on it, and it's twenty one dollars for something you could probably make for sixteen cents. I, bro, exactly. I cannot believe that you have not been on this earlier. A queen. I've never thought of having a queen cake, and I am slightly outraged as well. How does this get by the local chapter Church of Woke in New Orleans? I mean, well, are they sleeping I, at the wheel? Well, dude, I mean, like, at first we were kind of upset because, like, uh, yeah, as you know, with king cakes, they, they put a plastic baby in there to signify if you get that slice, you buy the next king cake. Um, but the, the baby was inside a king cake, uh, not necessarily a queen cake, but we actually went back on that because men can be pregnant. So it's actually okay for a baby to be in a king cake. We just would like it in a queen cake as well. For gender equality, men can have babies, hashtag women's rights, you know, the whole deal. Everyone knows this. There's so much going on here. All right, so we've got – 
I agree. I think that if a king cake can have a baby, a queen cake can too. I tend to agree with that. And I myself am kind of outraged we haven't seen a queen cake. What about some sort of trans cake, or am I just going off the rails there? That's a little uh, too soon, maybe. Or we got it's definitely one step at a time, dude. We still have yeah, to uh, yeah. the fight for uh, women's rights above all. Uh, I do have a question. If a trans queen king cake came, would the baby have both breasts and a penis? Uh, it would uh, most probably be pan. Pan? Uh, what am I? I mean, is this my first show here? Of course he'd be pansexual. Yes. Of course a pansexual baby in a queen king cake. He, I mean, would, he would technically, every uh, every baby in a queen cake would be pansexual because uh, it would be incumbent upon that baby to choose what it decides to be. It would also be gender fluid. Uh, so uh, not, not really too... Uh, too hard on that baby there dude but uh but yeah so i don't know there's probably a lot of uh king cake enthusiasts who choose the gender of their own baby uh and not even consider what it might have been yeah i'm thinking uh, about all the king queen cakes that get thrown away and the baby never has a chance to come out of the cake that's kind of a weird thing man that's a whole nother can of worms isn't it well you know if uh i mean you throw that baby in the trash can women does have a right to choose throw away that baby so we know this. Yeah, apparently. And so does the Church of Woke. Well, bro, exotic. I mean, look, I mean, very, very informative. I can tell you still have the fire in you. We'll see what happens in the deliberation with the Woke Pope. You keep us informed there. But you're still the acting vice pope of the Church of Woke. That's all I know. So uh, as far as I know, that is uh, still uh, maintain that status. Uh, vice, yeah. Vice pope. Just let sleeping dogs lie, bro. Just just ignore the Woke Pope for like a couple weeks he's probably busy doing something some other shit in like vienna right now so god knows where he is he's uh he is he, uh, he is uh omniscient though he's everywhere he hears all so that is true i still haven't figured that out the omniscient god king the woke pope well bro exotic it was great last week thanks for jumping on this week i mean wildly impressive i mean you can't just tie all this together can't roll out of bed and just do this improv right i mean you probably put a lot of work into that one and we know that you did, and we appreciate that. So, Bro Exotic, we look forward to having you on next week. Be sure, keep us in the loop on this Queen King Cake uh, disaster that's not happening right now because we need more cake equality. And also, be sure and get your picks ready for March Madness. Bro, there's a lot of mascots out here now in this tournament, and certainly you can find a way. Certainly, you'll be mad at something. I can assume that to be correct, right? I mean, uh, there's always something to be mad at, always something to count. Yes. Excellent. Good. I'm glad your mindset hasn't changed. You're still a savage, and we love you. Bro Exotic, thanks for jumping on the show. Anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah, dude. No joke, stay woke. And uh, hashtag uh, pastry gender equality. Hashtag queen cake, man. We'll see you next week. All right, dude. Cheers. UN and OAS, they have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines. Tommy Bench joins the Sports Antelope post-Super Bowl. Rough game, bro. How you holding up? Rough game. Well, after I thought about Sylvia platting myself in the oven, uh, <laughs> little literary reference for those of you out there, uh, you know, I, I pulled my head out of the oven and decided it was it was worthwhile to live another day. Rough game, but not unexpected. And here's why. And I, I say that as, you know, obviously a diehard Eagles fan would have loved to have seen them win. But it wasn't unexpected. And if you'd reference back to an episode of the, the podcast sometime around probably week nine or 10 of the NFL season, I remember sharing that a, a, a feeling I had was actually confirmed by a hard, fast statistic. So I had a feeling, you know, I, I think the Eagles started either 8-0 or 9-0. But it always seemed like they didn't really do much in the second half. Now, some people would be like, oh, well, you know, you're up by 20, 30 points. You don't need to. Well, there's a difference between not needing to 
and seeming like you can't. And it wasn't that they just started playing very conservative, you know, run the ball, run out the clock, maintain the lead. It, it almost seemed like they weren't able to move the ball in this, in the third and fourth quarter. And then again, I remember, I forget if it was week eight, nine or 10, one of the announcers shared that in the first seven or eight games of the season, the Eagles had scored exactly zero points in the fourth quarter. And I remember yeah. hearing that and thinking that that's going to catch up with us. Like if you, if you can't score points in the fourth quarter and, and, and again, it wasn't just that they were protecting the lead and playing conservatively. It just seemed like they couldn't do it in the fourth quarter. And, and when you play a team like the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And it's the Super Bowl, and and that's going to catch up to you. And look, Patrick Mahomes is not the kind of guy you you want to play to only beat by three points. Like, don't put him in the position where all he needs to do is move the ball enough to get a field goal, or don't right. think, yeah. well, we'll just move the ball enough just to get a field goal. Even when the Eagles scored that late touchdown and and it was tied up, you know, you looked at the time on the clock and you just realized, you know, who's who's better at it. And when that guy took that knee at the, what was it, like the two-yard line? Yep. You know, I mean, talk about being a team player. Um, yep. You know, I, so I I can't get too upset. Disappointed, sure, but I, I can't get too upset and or say it was terribly unexpected. Well, look at you. You haven't even mentioned the controversial call that really wasn't controversial. That, that wasn't going to make the difference. Uh, yeah, you know, you know but, they, but they were. Know, it was in, a really good game. I think right. everybody enjoyed it. I, I agree with that. It was a good game. Lead changes back and forth. I mean, Hurts, uh, Hurts, I mean, he's a world beater. Do you see his numbers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, no, I, I mean, like a hundred, three touchdowns, 300 yards through a touchdown. Like, dude, filled it up. Right. And I'm, a, I'm more optimistic about the future. Probably the one thing, if I had to get on the bandwagon of, you know, oh, we got, we got cheated. I think the slipperiness of the field may have blunted some of our defensive effectiveness. But again, I'm not saying that would have made the difference, right? Well, maybe it, maybe, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say, oh, because of that, you know. Nah, look, because just like when we were running cross country, and we all remember what the coach would tell us, it ain't just raining for you. It's not just freezing <laughs> cold for you. If right. It's freezing cold and raining. It's freezing cold and raining for everybody. So that's you know, right. You can't really make those environmental excuses. Um, I'll say this in terms of the Eagles, you know, say three, five, 10 year outlook. I feel like we're entering kind of going back to the early two thousands where we've got a team, a core, a coach that can make the Eagles regular contend, you know, regularly getting into the playoffs like Andy Reid did for much of the early two thousands. Look, we were, we were going to the playoffs nearly every year. We were in the discussion for making it to the NFC championship game. And, you know, unfortunately I, only made it to the Super Bowl once in that stretch, but but we were always there, and I, I'm optimistic about that. If we can be in the hunt to the final three, four teams in the NFC, that puts you in a position to to potentially win. And you know, all right, didn't get it this year, and I hope the Boo Birds don't come out if we fall short of winning the Super Bowl next year, because I feel like that's oh, wow. almost too much to put on a third year coach. Like, well, you you have to win. The only oh, way you guys we... fired a four-year coach after winning the Super Bowl. I know. Well, but I, I, I think, I think that was the right move because he had lost the locker room. I don't. Yeah, think no, he's, was... he's going to lose the locker room, and I think Jalen Hurts is, is I, he's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, and I think he's, he's, he has the, the team in his hands much better than Carson Wentz ever did. I so. would go ahead. I, I would tend to agree with that, but.
I don't want you getting too wrapped up into the sports thing, but I do right. appreciate do appreciate your your feedback. What an honest Eagles fan. You don't find many. But what else do we have going on around the spectrum? Surely Tommy Bench, you can pull something out of the witch's pot here, the cauldron. There's a lot going on. What you got for us? So inflation. Oh. Story from six months ago, and you're just hanging on because it's the one thing. Didn't you see five hundred thousand jobs were created? I saw it. I saw it. That's good. And if you reference back to a few months ago at various points in the podcast, whenever we would talk about the economic picture, I frequently would say this is going to be a weird recession or near recession. There, weird things are going to happen. I perfect example: five hundred thousand jobs created in the month of January, and it doesn't seem from first glance that they're necessarily seasonal jobs and, and they adjust for that sort of thing. So when people say like, Oh, they're just all holiday jobs. Well, no, the, the, the people who come up with these numbers do seasonal adjustments. Okay. So, so yeah. that's accounted for, look, a lot of jobs were created. I, I think there are still some pockets of the country where they're trying to, I don't want to say get back on their feet, but really get back to operating at a higher tempo, you know, closer to what they were pre pandemic. There's still some slack there in the workforce participation rate and things like that. And frankly, I think some of it is people, you know, credit card debt is really starting to pile up and savings are starting to dwindle. So I think more and more people who've just been, you know, living the fun life are starting to realize, gee, I, I better actually go back to work and do something useful and be a productive member of society. So you got that. On the flip side, you got inflation. Now, of course, they're touting inflation's dropped for seven months in a row. Okay, fair, accurate. That is a statement of fact. It had the year over year inflation rate has dropped for six or seven months in a row. But let's let's take a longer term view, because one of the reasons early on as inflation was starting to go up, the talking point from the Federal Reserve and the Biden administration was, oh, we think it's transitory. We think it's short, short lived. Look, short lived inflation, it, it might sting for a couple of months, but if it spikes up and then comes back down somewhere in the three, four percent range, it, it's not that much of a killer. Whereas, say you get persistent four, five, six percent inflation over time. The problem is, as it starts stretching out longer than a year, you're talking about inflation on top of inflation. So let's index to January of 2020. All right. So this, this is the month before the pandemic. If, if you were dealing with Chinese manufacturers, like somebody on this podcast, you may have somewhat heard some news stories about this virus that's popping up in a place called Wuhan. But by and large, nobody's really paying attention to COVID in January of 2020. Take $100. Think of what you could buy for $100 in January of 2020. Fast forward to January 2021. Hey, inflation only 1.4%. Now that makes sense because there was actually price depreciation in 2020. And, and things were starting to get back to normal in some pockets in January 21. Vaccines rolling out. Yay, we got rid of the big bad orange man. Biden was going to save the world. January 2022. 7.5% inflation. By the way, when they give these top line numbers, it's year over year. So that's why yep. I'm comparing January from one year to January the next year. Ignore the monthly change. That's just nonsense that politicians of both parties will use as a talking point. Just ignore it. That's not even worth discussing. We always look at year over year. That's the responsible grown-up way to look at inflation. So now you're talking about stacking 7.5% on top of that 1.4%. All right, the 1.4%, not a big deal. When you stack those two and compound them, that same $100, that same thing, stuff you bought for $100 in January of 2020, is now going to cost you $109 in January of 2022. Well, now let's bring it forward to January of 2023, last month. 
you've got to stack another 6.4% of inflation on top of the previous 7.5, on top of the, the very small 1.4. So now in January of 23, think about how far that $100 went in 2020. Well, now you need $116. I'm rounding up by two pennies for anybody who wants to be precise. You need $116 to purchase the same amount of things you could purchase in January of 2020 for $100. Now, you might think like, well, you know, 16% rise in costs. Yeah, but if it's everything, it's one, it, it's one thing if it's like one thing in your budget. But for different people, depending on how much disposable income you have, something like energy, which energy alone has had more like, you know, 10, 20, 30% increase since January of 2020. If you have less discretionary income, which is, you know, income you can spend on things you want to spend it on, and a higher percentage of your income has to go to staples and necessities like energy, rent, housing, food, it really stings when those things go up, you know, for, for those of us who can afford to go out to eat pretty much when we want, all right, so we'll go out one less night, one less Saturday night in the month, and, and that can kind of account for it. But, you know, if you're living real paycheck to paycheck and most of your income is going to staples, 16% rise over, over a few years is really going to sting. So keep that in mind as you hear these numbers. For, for instance, even if inflation starts ticking down to 4 and 5%, they're going to claim that as a victory. But you can't view it as, well, it's, you know, 5%. No, it's 5% packed on top of the 4 or 5% or 6 or 7% that we experienced through most of 2022. Because remember, the inflation started hitting in mid to late 21, starts ramping up, starts ramping up, and then stayed persistently high through the later part of 21, through most of 22. And we're just now in the latter half of 2022 and the early part of 23 starting to see it come down. But again, still at historically, not historic highs, we've come off historic highs, but I'd say we're at historically elevated numbers. And, and it'll be very interesting. Now, again, here's the counterpoint you're going to hear. Retail sales were strong. They grew 3% in the month of January. True, true story. Could part of that be related to those 500,000 people going back to work and actually getting a paycheck and deciding they could go out and spend a little bit of it? Maybe, sure. Fair way to analyze it. Again, weird things are going to be happening in the economy. This recession or economic slowdown, even if we don't hit the formal definition of a recession, in, in this particular calendar year, this economic slowdown is, is going to be odd. The question is, can the slowdown keep pace above or, or keep people employed? Because where we will dr uh, drop into a severe economic contraction is if the slowdown occurs to the point where then unemployment starts rising, because then you're talking about wages being removed from the workforce, people not having disposable income. When people don't have disposable income, that really slows consumer spending. And, and the U.S. economy is so reliant on consumer spending that, you know, if we started seeing month over month and year over year contractions in consumer spending, that would be very worrying for the larger economic picture. So I know we threw a lot out there, a lot of numbers, a lot of jargon, but the, the, hey. the point is, it, it's probably not as dire and awful as some people make it sound, but it ain't rosy either. It's, it's, there's, there's mixed signals being sent about the economy is, is probably the most accurate and straightforward way to put it. Uh, again, I, I speak from some personal experience in terms of working for a very large multinational company. The, the unit I'm in, we keep posting strong months. And I think everybody's waiting for the shoe to drop and have you know a 30% miss. 
as opposed to exceeding by two or three percentage points. Um, and I talk to peers and, and people in other industries and they, it seems sort of the same, like we're still having strong months, but everybody's just waiting to have that one month where, you know, your, your budget 10 million and you only hit six and a half million. And, and well, is that just a blip or is that the start of severe economic contraction? Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that and be keeping our listeners updated on, on what the larger economic picture looks like. Additionally, with this inflation number, you know, I think Jerome Powell and the Fed were hoping that it would come down more into the four or five range and that would justify a slowing of the interest rates. You're, you know, they'll have one of their Fed meetings where they go behind closed doors for two or three days and then they'll release some, you know, perfectly engineered statement where everybody will swear they understand what it means. Um, but the question will be, will they go back to, you know, 0.5%, you know, also known as 50 basis point? increases in the interest rate? Will they stay with the 25 basis point increases? It'll be interesting to see. And of course, the effect that that has on mortgages and, and the cost of housing and things of that nature. They, it's almost like they're trying to be too cute by half and engineer this, quote, soft landing. I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off, especially when you have an economy that's sending such mixed messages. And, and that's what's going to be tough for anyone to be able to figure out and forecast going forward. Um, Shifting to to the political outlook and what effect this could have. Look, obviously, let's just assume Biden is the Democrat nominee. We'll we'll put a pin in that discussion for later. Obviously, he'd love to go into it where we're not facing an economic contraction. The thing is, you're kind of running out of time from the standpoint of, say, the Fed determines that they need to keep raising interest rates, and that occurs over the next three to six months. The effects of that can lag up to three to six months. Well, you know, if three to six months are still raising interest rates well into the fall of 2023, and the effect of that is starting to be seen in economic contraction three to six months later, you're starting to talk about the spring slash summer of 2024. Now, the, the, the political maxim is that people don't start paying attention even in a presidential year until after Labor Day. So... By September of 24, can this all be shaken out of the economy and we'd be back to two, two and a half percent growth with inflation somewhere in the two to three percent range? I don't know. I don't know. I think we'll still what I think is going to be happening is we're still just essentially going to be getting mixed economic messages through the remainder of 23 and in 24. And it'll be the sort of thing they'll try to run on some parts of the economy, but not holistically run on the economy. Hmm. <clears throat> well, I, right. uh, are you really showing your you have right now over the last month? Uh, yes. Yeah. Wow. I'm not yep. saying I just figured what what you do. I thought that would be a some sort. Well, no, man. I guess it does make sense. I mean, our company's doing that. Yeah, I'm not rooting against America to crash or some right. No. get in there. You know, like I'm no, because sure I think people didn't go ahead. No, I mean, look, I think I think any Republican has a chance to beat Joe Biden. Any of the Republicans being talked about, even, yes, Donald Trump. Look, I think he could win. I think he's probably one of the Republicans who would have the more difficult, um, a higher threshold to that he would need to achieve in terms of outperforming expectation. But I think any Republican could be could beat Joe Biden. I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm just saying it's in the realm of the possible. Um but again, a lot more to be seen on what the Democrats do. I mean, they've really sure. painted themselves in the corner. They know they can't run Kamala Harris. 
No. But they know they can't throw Joe overboard and throw her overboard. The you know the woke left and the intersectional hierarchy won't have that. And and plus, who would you pick? Who can you Gavin pick? Put... But but he doesn't fit the intersectional <laughs> unless I, I, he becomes transgender or something. I do. Right, so well, if they want to, you know, that'll they want to go down that road here. I mean, they're going to find it's a short it's a short street. Uh, but we'll see. Right. Right. So moving moving uh, closing out on politics. Nikki Haley is the most recent uh, person to formally announce that she is going to seek the Republican nomination uh, for the presidency in 2024. Now, this makes her the only other Republican who is officially declared. A lot of people are making noises and, you know, doing the things and going to New Hampshire and all Iowa and all those sort of things. But she's the second person and only person other than Trump to uh, file for uh, running for the Republican nom- nomination. I'm going to go ahead and cut right to the chase. She's running to be vice president. Yes. And he's, no, how can you say that? She's got a chance. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't. She's she she can't run in the Trump or even Trump adjacent lane because she said things critical of Trump. Some some of which I don't think are too far out there. But you got to keep in mind to his base and the people who are you know will follow him off a cliff into the ends of the earth you can't have any strikes against you. But what's more interesting in terms of my statement about she's running for vice president, she's running for, I think she's running for vice president, but her options are somewhat limited. Trump will never pick her to be the VP because no. Trump, the, the one thing, and, and it's at times it's an asset. I think more often it's a downfall because it forces him. It sometimes causes him to ally with people who are either complete idiots or incompetence. Um, but, you know, but sometimes it's it's an asset from the standpoint of it. It's also caused him to kept some people from a di- keep certain people at a distance who I think could have hindered his presidency is to him. Loyalty is everything. And it, and it's like undying, totally faithful never having said a critical word about me. Loyalty that he expects. So I don't think he could I don't think he would ever consider Nikki Haley as a vice president, I think you'll see, you know, if he, if he wants a woman, I think Carrie Lake could be on the short list for someone like Donald Trump. Um, but I don't think Nikki Haley's on the short list. Similarly, I think if Ron DeSantis, when he declares, he's going to declare and, and say he's able to beat Trump and say Nikki Haley doesn't serve as a spoiler, because in some polls it shows she gets some interest. I, I could almost see Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo more serving as a spoiler to DeSantis versus Trump. But let's Let's say DeSantis, you know, whittles down. It's DeSantis versus Trump. DeSantis starts winning some primaries and caucuses and things like that. I don't think he would consider her for this simple reason. Usually when you're a governor, you're not looking for another executive on the ticket. You don't want to share the ticket with another person whose big claim is I was a chief executive of a state. Now, she could try to pivot and really play hard into the I was the ambassador to the United Nations. But foreign policy, it's just not the kind of thing that I think is is her strong suit. Not that she, I think she did a great job in that role, but, you know, her real claim is, you know, I was daughter of immigrants, came here, lived the American dream. I love America. I want to see other people have the American dream just like me. And I helped run the beast of the Southeast, right? That's her catchphrase about the economy in South Carolina. And look, she deserves a lot of credit for it. She did a great job as governor. Ron DeSantis is not going to look for another governor. He's, he's going to do the, the Dick Cheney-esque, another, you know, old, probably somebody a little older, Gravitas, somebody who knows their way around Washington, you know, maybe a senator, um, something like that. Now, I'll say this, 
if if you're Ronnie D, you should can I think Nikki Haley should be on the table perhaps for Secretary of State. Uh, you know, I, I think that could be a great place. I'd love to see Mike Pompeo jump right back in that role, but I don't think he wants it. He either wants the top seat or he's going to, I think he might move on. Um, but I could see her getting on the short list for secretary of state uh, when her, her race for being the VP does not work out to her favor. Well, I mean, I kind of, I don't know this whole, Yes, but you're right about one thing. She's definitely running for vice president. That is definitely the... <laughs> right, and unfortunately, I think the only way something like that happens is if somehow a Pompeo comes out barnstorming and somehow able to knock off both Trump and DeSantis, which I... Yeah. You know, the, the one thing I'll say that DeSantis needs to be careful of is Rick Perry syndrome. And what I mean by that, oh, if we all remember the 2012, but, but here's, he'll never, he'll never have a mistake. Like, Oh, I want to get rid of three things of government, the uh, commerce education. Whoops. whoops. DeSantis won't do that. He won't do that. But you know, there was really in the 2012 Republican primary, everybody thought like Rick, Perry, Oh, he's just kicking butt down there in Texas. He's a governor of a big state. He knows how to run a big campaign. He's just going to come in and be a hammer. And he got that, you know, first onto the scene boost in polling but even before his his mistake the polling started trailing off similarly i remember scott walker i was i liked the idea of scott walker but he never caught hold he was a governor with a compelling story but he never caught hold um uh, you know and I, I thought he i thought he could have done a good job as a chief executive but he just never caught hold so ron DeSantis's big thing that he'll have to watch out for is living up to the hype there's a lot of people putting their chips in his in his corner and he better deliver and live up to the hype. And, and he's pretty good on the stump. He's not as entertaining as Trump. And sometimes he, you can tell he's trying to deliver the Reagan esque line and it just, he's just not as good as Reagan. Right. Nobody is. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I I mean, he's clearly, I mean, mean, he's clearly the guy that probably has the best chance to win. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, you know, we'll see. A lot of time before that that happens. We'll have to circle back to some of the bets as well, your political bets. I don't think we have time for that now, but we should re- We should probably next couple of weeks, let's see how those are doing, the ones that you made on Predicted. Right, right. We'll have to circle back and keep those things top of mind as we refer to our neighbor, Canadia, um, just using some of Corrine Jean-Pierre's favorite favorite catchphrases. I've been saying Canadian for a while. Yeah, she is. She might be the worst person in that administration. I I, I mean, Jen Psaki is like in another league than she is. She real. I mean, she makes Psaki look incredible as far as like competency for the, that press secretary role, which is kind of a cupcake thing in her spot. Now, if you're in the other seat, you know, on the other side with the R by your name, well, things are a little different. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, she can't hit a cabbage ball, man. They throw her cabbage balls, and she—it's—it's right. it's hard Have to you watch. Ever, and and you've heard of the Nobel Prize, right? That's given out for science and literature and math and physics. Yep, she said she said it eight times in 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 one statement. She Noble. kept saying, "It's not like she then realized, oh crap, this is actually the Nobel." It just shows she, she's not intelligent. She's not well read. No, it's I bad. Believe you say that about somebody who went no, to Columbia. This, this, no, yeah, that's I, an indictment on Columbia, not an indictment on anything other than her and that institution. <laughs> oh boy, doormat Ivy League. Oh man, well that's right. I will. <laughs> well, thanks for jumping on, Bench. Anything you want to close? I don't want to cut you off. You still? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. But I uh, thought that was a very, very good segment, especially after 
in the wake of, oh, you know, what happened on Sunday. But thanks for popping on out of the way, brother. All right. Out we here. look forward to having you back next week. Thanks for joining the Sports Antelope, episode number 139, Horrible Bosses and Coaches. I believe that's not what it was called, and Coaches. I just add that. Horrible Bosses in a big meeting? Well, I'm changing it to Horrible Bosses. That way we can just keep that. Horrible Bosses and Coaches. What, a, what an amazing structure. Belts just changes the title. You think I put no work into this. God. We'll have the drunk neighbor on next week. He's got one ready to rip. And much like most, he is just better in person. Right? The drunk neighbor needs Danny Belts next to him so he can yell at me while he's yelling at you. And it makes yelling at everyone that collectively better. He's got a great... And this guy continues to pull stuff out of the hay pile that no one cares about in a time when it is perfect to talk about it as he keeps us up on the things that are still happening in college football that really matter, but we've shifted to March Madness. I totally get it. Thanks to Tommy Bench for jumping on the show. Appreciate that. Bro, exotic, hot, rip. Bro, just steamrolls Danny Belts condescendingly and incredibly. So thanks to Bro, exotic. Benny Hanna will be on soon. Maybe the young Woken after he just busted up the no-hitter last week with that incredible. And by the way, the young Woken is now taking a job that has something to do with the University of Green Bay. It doesn't get any more ridiculous than this. Maybe he'll come on and tell you all about it. Thanks for listening to the show. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antelope. Reach out, touch a brother, and tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today, or the woke Pope will probably cuck you in a very woke, incredible way. Keep it real. And a dosage!